Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Bible Prophecy for today. My name is Heather and I've got some news and views from a West Texans biblical point of view. One you're going to find in your mainstream media. Hey guys, welcome to today's program. It is January the 11th of 2024 and I have some really good news for you guys. So guess what? Guess what? Yes, we are going to upload my pastor's um, teaching um, from last night on Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39. And um, you're going to learn a lot of really good things about the end times and what is going on. Uh, talking about countries and nations and what those nations are that are in the Bible. And are they ready to, I don't know, jump on Israel? Could we be living in the days of the war prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39? And he's actually thrown in another um, book in there. You guys are going to have to listen to find out which other book we're going to be talking about. And you guys can read on your own. It's, uh, uh, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. It's a book in the Bible, and it's only two chapters long. Hmm, don't know. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you guys. You're going to have to listen to find out. If you want to, you can actually watch it on YouTube. It is uh, New Hope Fellowship at River Road. That's our YouTube channel where you can find us on Facebook, New Hope Fellowship at River Road. And so, um, guys, jump on there. Now, my video feed did cut out like the last, I would say, maybe 15, 20 minutes of the teaching. I do apologize for that. I'm just using a cheapo webcam that I had, um, you know, and it just it didn't cut it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but anyway, it is audio. And so you can definitely hear it. And I think it's just the last 15, maybe 20 minutes that were cut out. Um, but definitely worth listening to. If you guys listen to on the podcast, then you can be like, well, we're listening anyway, Heather. <laughs> and you'll be like, you're absolutely right. You guys are. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this. This is my pastor, Dr. Randy Davis. And um, we're um, he's going through um, End Time Revelation. Uh, we're going through that, going through the book of that. Uh, we'll be going through the book of Revelation also um, beginning, I believe, in February. But right now, we're doing end-time events. And so I think you guys are going to be super, super excited and encouraged. And if you're not a believer yet in Christ, uh, you're going to really, really want to listen to this message. So without further ado, I'm going to play um, the audio from my pastor, Dr. Randy Davis, in Amarillo, Texas, at New Hope Fellowship, River Road. Um, may God bless you guys. And thank you guys so much for listening. And remember, get in the Word of God. Let the Word of God get into you. And Maranatha, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, today, folks, today, it could be today that the Lord comes and takes us home. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, but also Ezekiel. So Ezekiel is prophesying while he's in exile. So he's somewhere in Babylon, and we're told that he's near the Kibar River. So there's a couple of ideas where that might have been. Uh, some folks think it could have been in present-day Syria, but probably closer to the Persian Gulf area somewhere. So Kibar River. And um, anyway, he's um, been called upon by the Lord to, to prophesy to the Israelites. Uh, as you can imagine, they'd be pretty discouraged, you know, the Babylonians coming in and destroying their temple and carting them off and all that. So they're very depressed. They're very sad and upset. And so the Lord is going to give them a message of hope that there's going to be restoration. So there's a lot of passages in the Old Testament, you know, about the restoration of Israel, how God will bring them back into the land and how He'll provide for them. And so that partially took place, you know, 70 years later. Jeremiah talked about the 70-year period 
uh, after the, uh, the exile and the Babylonian conquest. So Babylonians came in 586 B.C. and destroyed the city and the temple and deported these people. Then 70 years later in 516 B.C., after 70 years, they were allowed to go back. Remember Cyrus the Persian allowed them to go back? And so they rebuilt the temple. And so a man named Zerubbabel kind of led the way to do that. And uh, um, so that took place uh, 516 B.C., before Christ. And then after, uh, after that was done, of course, years go by. So that's the second temple. All the way up until the Romans, when the Romans come and eventually destroy the temple shortly after Christ. Remember, it's 70 A.D. So that was when the Romans destroyed the temple again. Now, Herod the Great kind of remodeled it, but it was still considered the second temple that Zerubbabel built. So you got Solomon's temple, then you got Zerubbabel's temple, and then you got Herod's remodel, which is still the second temple period. And there's going to be a third temple, we know, that's going to be built during the tribulation time. Uh, it's not specifically mentioned in the Bible, but we'll see later as we get into you know, First and Second Thessalonians uh, and also in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation, that there will be a third temple built during the tribulation time because the Antichrist is going to go into that temple and he's going to declare himself to be God. Remember that? So there's going to be that temple. But then there's going to be a fourth temple that we're going to look at in a moment, and that's the millennial temple. So it's different than any other temple that's ever been. It's not the tribulation temple. That'll be destroyed by the Lord when he comes back. And Ezekiel writes about the millennial temple. So I'm just kind of giving you a little preview. We'll, we'll look at that in just a moment. But Israel is in Babylon, and so they're very depressed because they've been defeated. They've been carted off. The temple's been destroyed. And so you get into Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're going to read about this message of hope that Ezekiel is going to give them. Now I should mention that um, earlier in the book, uh, in chapters 10 and 11, Ezekiel has a vision of the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. It's real dramatic. So sometime tonight, go back and read chapter 10, and you'll read about the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. Uh, Ezekiel saw, he saw the, the glory of God lift up out of the temple and move toward the eastern gate and all the way over to the Mount of Olives, which is east of the old city of Jerusalem. And so the glory of the Lord left. And there's no scripture that indicates that he's ever returned. He's not yet returned uh, his glory to the temple. So when Zerubbabel came back and rebuilt his temple, they used it. They had sacrifices and all of that. And also during Herod the Great's time, during Christ, they used the temple. But the glory of the Lord was not there. The Ark of the Covenant was not there. You know, the Ark is missing since the Babylonian invasion. And so nobody knows exactly what happened to it. So Charlotte thinks she knows where it's at, but we really don't know. So yeah. we've got a model of it up here, right? So, but anyway... Uh, it's bigger than that, yeah. It's about about two by four. It's not really all that big, but um, but it's missing. And so we talked about that last time. That I think it will be eventually found when the Lord comes back and and be placed in the millennial temple, not the tribulation temple. 
So anyway, that's a little preview. We'll look at uh, chapter 37 of Ezekiel. And this, we'll, we'll just look at a few chapters tonight and just kind of pick and choose here. But uh, verse 1 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, which is full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, uh, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back into the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Okay. So this is a prophecy of hope for Israel that someday they'll be brought back into the land. And so there's a lot of verses that we're not going to look, be able to look at all of them tonight that indicate that Israel would be scattered by her enemies you know, all over the known world. And then in the latter days, of course, God brings them back into the land. And so that's exactly here what uh, Ezekiel is, is having a vision about. So the dry bones indicate the nation of Israel has dried up. It's been, you know, uh, it's been destroyed pretty much. It's been scattered chased out of their, their land. And so the Lord is giving them this promise that someday he's going to bring them back into the land and that uh, he's going to reign with them forever and ever. So that, of course, has not yet happened. Now, has Israel been able to go back into the land? When did that happen? We know they're there today. 1948. In 1948, uh, after about two, almost 2,000 years, of being scattered. You know, they were scattered all over the place. After the Romans destroyed the temple and, and chased them out, uh, the Lord brought them back into the land. That's really a miracle. If you study the history of Israel, it's really incredible how the Lord brought them back into the land and reestablished them. And almost immediately after they declared you know, statehood, um, all their enemies attacked. All the Islamic nations attacked you know, and tried to destroy them. But God gave them a great victory, and, and look what they've become today. Very powerful nation. 
even though Israel is very, very tiny, it's very small, about the size of New Jersey, but it's very powerful, nuclear power. And so that prophecy was partially fulfilled, that they would come back into the land and that the Lord would breathe life back into them. But it's not completely fulfilled. It won't be completely fulfilled until the Lord comes back and establishes His you know, thousand-year reign on the earth. That's the millennium. So, so that's what uh, Ezekiel is writing about, that they'll be regathered, that they'll come back to life, and that the Lord will bless them. So it's kind of cool, isn't it, to know that we're living during the time when all these things have happened. And um, Of course, I wasn't alive in 1948, but I came along not too long after that. So y'all were just little bitty kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of neat though to be be on the earth when all these things are coming to pass. There have been so many prophecies that have been fulfilled. So this is one of the really amazing prophecies that has come to pass in recent years. Uh, I was over there in 2018, which is their 70th anniversary. And boy, they were celebrating, you know, and everything. And uh, um, I found out about a, a place that was making coins. It's a temple institute type thing. They're trying to to raise funds to rebuild the temple. There's a lot of interest in that among some. And so they had this commemorative coin that they struck. And I got one of them. It's 50 bucks. And anyway, it's kind of a keepsake. But also the money would go to help rebuild the temple you know, when the time comes. So when that comes, maybe some of that money I gave will help to rebuild the temple. Wouldn't that be neat? Uh, so it's exciting. What's that, Doc? That's right. My my coin, my 50 bucks is right here, you know, so. But that's really amazing the way the Lord has fulfilled all these prophecies. And we know this one's going to be fulfilled as well. And so, you know, that began in 1948, and and so we have no doubt the rest of it's going to come to pass, perhaps somewhat soon. All this stuff going on over in Israel right now, it makes you wonder if uh, it's all about to happen. Yeah. yeah. We're going to read here in a moment about a, a big battle that occurs in the latter days, and uh, who knows, it may happen soon, maybe even this year. Uh, I think it's a battle that's going to happen um, before or right about the same time as the rapture of the church. And I'll show you why in a moment. Um, some people think, no, it's describing a battle that's already occurred, but that doesn't really make any sense um, uh, because the Bible teaches, you know, that when the Lord um, you know, comes back, he's going to establish his kingdom and then it'll last forever. So, uh, I think it's a battle that's separate from the Battle of Armageddon. You know, in the Battle of Armageddon, we'll read about that when we get into the book of Revelation. It's a worldwide battle. All the nations on the earth are involved in it. But this battle in Ezekiel, chapter 38, we're fixing to look at, uh, is different. It gives a list of the nations that are going to come against Israel, and it's limited. It's not the whole world. So I think it's a different battle uh, from the Battle of Armageddon. So, so look here in, in Ezekiel 38. Let's look at just the first nine verses. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. 
and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed, and a gray horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. And then he gives a list of these nations. It says, Persia, Cush, and Put will be with them, all with shields and helmets, also Gomer with all its troops, and Beth to Gomorrah from the far north with all its troops, the many nations with you. Get ready and be prepared, you and all the hordes gathered about you, and take command of them. After many days you'll be called to arms. In future years you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They had been brought out from the nations, and now all of them live in safety. You and all your troops, all the many nations with you, will go up, advancing like a storm, and you will be like a cloud covering the land. Okay? So we're told that this is a battle in the latter days, and I think it's something that's going to happen very, very soon. And it gives a list of these, these enemies. Now, Magog... You've probably studied this before, but Magog um, is a land that is identified with modern-day Russia. And so Gog is the leader at the time that this happens. It's just a name that's given uh, for their leader. So who's the leader of Russia today? It's Putin, right? So Putin is a pretty, pretty evil guy. We know he's invaded Ukraine you know, here recently, last couple of years, and is causing all kinds of trouble. He really wants to reunify, reunify all of the Soviet Union and everything. So, uh, and he's very, very closely aligned, Russia is, with Iran, right? They're always working together. As in the news this week, that they're working together. Iran is supplying drones and stuff like that to, uh, to Russia to use against Ukraine and everything. So, so they're very closely connected. And Russia's given lots of, technology and money and things to to Iran. And we know what Iran's up to. They, they hate Israel. They want to destroy Israel. And so they're behind Hamas. They're behind Hezbollah. They're behind these, uh, these Houthis that are down in Yemen. So they're behind all these. These are proxies that they're using to fight against Israel. And so anyway, uh, it gives a list of these nations that are going to come against Israel in the latter days. And so it's Russia... And Persia, which is an ancient name for Iran, so Russia and Iran. Cush is like the Sudan or the northern Ethiopia area. Put would be Libya. Gomer and Beth Togarma is Turkey, the area of Turkey. And Turkey is certainly very supportive of, of uh, Hamas. You know, uh, The leader of Turkey came out recently and said that Netanyahu is a war criminal, you know, for... Uh, attacking Gaza and that kind of stuff. So, isn't it amazing that right here out of Ezekiel 38, you got a list of these nations, these Islamic nations that are going to combine with Russia in the latter days and come down from the north, the northern part of Israel, and attack. Now, how about that? Sounds just like today's newspaper, doesn't it? So, it's amazing how prophecy is being fulfilled so quick. I know. It's incredible. And so, you know, 
it's a war is a terrible thing, but it's kind of exciting when you read about these things in the Bible and you look around and they're all happening right now. I mean, it's just amazing that we're seeing these things come to pass. Prophecies being fulfilled, fulfilled right before our very eyes. So uh, the big question is, when is this battle going to occur? And again, some say, well, it's just part of the Battle of Armageddon. But again, these are specific nations that are mentioned. Uh, and when we get to Armageddon later on, the book of Revelation, you know, it mentions the kings of the east. They're not mentioned here. You know, China, that has to be China. Um, it does talk about a king of the north and king of the south and all of that. Uh, the United States is not mentioned at all. Nothing that sounds like the U.S. Why do you think that might be? Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. She said, because we have a stupid president. And then Dolores said that. So, yeah. but, but the thing is, um, of course, we're talking, we're getting a little ahead of this war. I think we're talking, I mean, after this war, I think we're talking about the Battle of Armageddon. And the United States is not mentioned. It's, it's a world war. You'd think, well, why would the United States, the most powerful nation on earth, not be mentioned in end-time prophecy? It's just not there. And uh, my, my theory is, Something is going to happen that's really going to, several things that are really going to drive our nation to its knees when all these things come to pass. And we're very close. Uh, I think, what's that? I, I think the nation will be decimated. I think the United States will be decimated. I, I think there's several things. I think financially we're going to have a collapse. We all know we're getting close to that. I think, um, there, of course, there could be enemies that come against us. The southern border is wide open. So we got terrorists pouring across the border, things like that. But there's something that, that I believe is the most important key factor that tells me that we're not really, our nation is not going to be a, a player in that war of Armageddon, and that's the rapture of the church. What do you think is going to happen to the United States when the rapture comes? All the Christians will be gone, right? And you think... You'd think that the United States would be impacted by that more than any other nation on earth. I think we will. A lot of Christians in our country, right? And so I think when the rapture occurs, well, that's going to be a, a wide open door for these enemies of Israel to come against Israel. And so I believe that this battle in Ezekiel 38 is going to occur somewhere around the time of the rapture of the church. Um, so, if you look, uh, look on down to verse 18. Let's read a little bit more. 18 through 23. It says, This is what will happen in that day when Gog attacks the land of Israel. My hot anger will be aroused, declares the Sovereign Lord. In my zeal and fiery wrath, I declare that at that time there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, every creature that moves along the ground, all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. The mountains will be overturned, the cliffs will crumble, and every wall will fall to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Sovereign Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will execute judgment upon him with plague and bloodshed. I'll pour down torrents of rain, hailstones, and burning sulfur on him, on his troops, and on the many nations with him. And so I will show my greatness and my holiness, 
and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And so when these nations come against Israel, God says that He is going to annihilate them. He's going to destroy them. And so one thing He says He's going to do is have, have them fight amongst themselves. You know, brother will fight against brother, He says. Now this is something that's happened many, many times. I've counted like at least five times in the Old Testament where God has used this to defeat the enemies of Israel. I think it happened twice with the Philistines. It's happened with the Midianites and with the Amalekites, I believe, the, the Amorites. You can go back and read these occasions where God caused them to fight against themselves and destroy themselves. And God also says He's going to bring supernatural things. He's going to bring torrents of you know, burning sulfur and things like that and fire. And so God Himself is going to destroy these enemies. And it says it's on the northern mountains of Israel. Well, there's fighting going on there right now today, isn't there? That's where Hezbollah is at, in Lebanon. And so, of course, Israel's had scraps with uh, Hezbollah before. But uh, there are a lot of mountains, mountainous area up there. Their tallest mountain, Mount Hermon, is up north, about as far north as you can go in Israel. And so that's the area where this annihilation is going to take place. So it's coming. And we could be very, very close. So... Jump down to, to Ezekiel chapter 39 and just look at verse 9. Something really interesting. This is uh, after the Lord annihilates them. Verse 9 of chapter 39, he says, Then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up, the small and large shields, the bows and arrows, and the war clubs and spears. And for seven years they will use them as fuel. They will not need to gather wood from the fields or cut it from the forest because they will use the weapons for fuel and they will plunder those who plunder them and loot those who looted them, declares the sovereign Lord. So God says that for seven years, Israel will burn the weapons of this, these enemies that came against them and that God destroyed. Now, what do you make of this uh, description of the weapons like spears and swords and bows and arrows and clubs. What do you make of that? Folks look at that and say, well, that can't be today. Why would the Bible use that kind of imagery talking about warfare? Any thoughts on that? Well, back then, in Ezekiel's time, that's the only kind of weapons they had. So it makes sense that Ezekiel would not be given a vision of fighter jets and missiles and things like that. He wouldn't know what to make of that. It wouldn't make sense to him. He does talk about fire and, you know, sulfur and those kind of things and things that do decide later on we get in revelation things that do sound like nuclear warfare or you know all kinds of uh, advanced uh, conventional warfare you read things that kind of sound like that but um, i think it's just imagery here it's 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 a literal battle and i think it's a little time literal time period when they they can burn these weapons and use these weapons but i think it's just describing warfare of that time even though it's something that's going to we don't and we know it's going to happen in the latter days, so it's going to happen in in our our time period, I believe. Well, that, was, that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the description back then was certainly different. Yeah, yeah, I think Ezekiel is just being shown a vision of of warfare during his time. Yeah. 
Now, what do you make of the seven years? Why do you think they burned the weapons for seven years? You see any kind of connection there? What else? What else happens for seven years? Yeah, the Bible clearly says there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. And I can't help but think that this is a connection to that. It seems so obvious to me that you've got the seven-year tribulation, you've got the seven years here where they're going to burn these weapons. So that tells me, I believe, and it's just a theory, you know, a lot of people believe and some don't, that this battle we're reading about here in Ezekiel is going to happen right at the very beginning of the tribulation time. Now, we're going to talk about the rapture in detail later on in another study, but I believe the rapture of the church takes place at the very beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. And uh, we'll look at a lot more detail later, but uh, the church is removed and taken up to heaven, and the Bible says the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place, and then the Lord will bring the church back to the earth at the end of the seven years. That's when the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. And that's when Jesus comes back with us and he destroys all of his enemies and he enters into the temple and then he sets up his kingdom, his earthly kingdom for a thousand years. And so back in, in the New Testament times when uh, a Jewish bride and groom would get married, they would have a, a week-long celebration, a week-long Wedding celebration. Can you imagine celebrating a wedding for seven days? That'd be something, wouldn't it? That's what that was their custom. That's what they did. And so, so the bridegroom would come for his bride, and uh, at night we read about this in Matthew's gospel, you know, uh, uh, Matthew twenty-five, where the bridegroom comes. You remember the ten virgins, uh, or bridesmaids, we would call them. Uh, the bridegroom comes. There's a shout. It's usually at night. Uh, the bride and her attendants come out and join the procession. They go back to the father's house for this week-long celebration. I think that's very significant. I think that week-long celebration is the seven years, a week of years, where the church, the bride of Christ, is in heaven. And then at the end of the seven years, the end of that week of years, the bride comes back with the groom to the earth and is revealed. Uh, just like that uh, uh, Jewish wedding ceremony. Isn't that interesting? I mean, to me, that makes so much sense. I'm convinced. So you see how I think that the rapture is about seven, is seven years before uh, the second coming. It's at the beginning of the tribulation time. And this battle also is about that same time. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly the same time, but I think it's going to be close to it. Um, makes sense to me. You know, I think the seven years here is very significant. Um, so anyway, we can't look at all the scriptures tonight, but it's really interesting. Chapters 40 through 42, specifically here, talk about this millennial temple. Remember I told you there's going to be four temples altogether. The first temple was built by who? Solomon. Solomon. David wanted to build it, and God said, no, you're a man of blood, and so I'm going to let your son build it. So Solomon built the first temple. And then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in, right, destroyed it. In 516, they were allowed to come back, the Israelites, and they rebuilt the temple. So you have the second temple, and that was led by Zerubbabel, and Ezra the priest was there as well. And then years later, um, about 20 years before the birth of Christ, you had Herod the Great who remodeled the second temple. They completely 
disassembled it and put it back together, but it wasn't destroyed. And so it's still considered to be part of the second temple period uh, from Zerubbabel's time. And so he completely remodeled it. Remember last year, last week we talked about that big temple platform, that 35-acre platform that Herod the Great built, and he kind of leveled out Mount Moriah. And then they they put the built the rebuilt the temple on top of that, and it was beautiful, magnificent. And it took 46 years for them to build that that structure and everything. Well, then Jesus prophesied, you know, that every stone would be thrown down told his disciples that, and, and that's what the Romans did in 70 A.D. They tore it down. You can still see some of the stones from uh, the wall area up high that they, they pushed over down onto the ground. They're still there today. It's been 2,000 years, and you can still see some of the remnants of that. But the, the retaining wall is still there all the way around that temple area. Now, the temple's gone, but what's up there today? The, the Dome of the Rock. Where I talked about that Sunday in the message about the about Abraham offering Isaac, you know, on Mount Moriah. That's the very same mountain. And so the Muslims built the Dome of the Rock there. Uh, it's like you know, thirteen hundred years ago. And so anyway, that's what's there today. But uh, there's going to be a tribulation temple when this Antichrist comes along. Uh, he's going to initiate a seven-year treaty with Israel. Now, what are they doing right now? they got all this war going on with Hamas and Hezbollah and Iran and all this. Can you imagine if someone came forward and brokered a seven-year peace treaty with Israel? That's right out of the Bible. That's right. We're going to look later in the book of Daniel. He talks about this seven-year peace treaty. And so that's coming. So be watching for that. We may be on the earth when that's announced or when it happens, or it could be right at the beginning of the rapture because it's a seven-year treaty. And then at the midway point of that seven years, that's when this Antichrist will go into the tribulation temple and proclaim himself to be God. That's when God brings all the plagues on the earth and all that, and there's terrible, terrible calamity for the next three and a half years until the end of the seven years. So does that make sense? How about that? So anyway, the millennial temple then will be built when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Now Ezekiel saw the, the glory of the Lord leave the temple in his vision in chapter 10. But if you look over to chapter 43, after Ezekiel's given all this description of the millennial temple, get over to chapter 43 and this, the first five verses we find out that the glory of the Lord is going to return to the temple. Now, this is the millennial temple. And again, if you go back sometime, maybe tonight or something or tomorrow, and look at chapters 40 through 42, you have this amazing detailed description of the millennial temple. And the dimensions are much different than any temple that's ever been built. It can't be Zerubbabel's temple. couldn't be that. And it's, it's going to be there. It's going to be established. The Lord's going to reign with His people forever. So that hasn't happened, of course. So it's not any temple that's ever existed before. It's a brand new temple during the millennium. And the glory of the Lord is going to enter into that temple. Look here at verse 1 of chapter 43. It says, Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the, of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with His glory. 
The vision I saw was like the vision I had when he came to destroy the city and like the visions I had by the Kibar River. I fell face down, and the glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. And then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. How about that? So the glory of the Lord will return to the temple, the millennial temple, when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, later again, we've got a lot of studies coming. We're going to look in Zechariah, where it talks about the Lord returning, and His foot will rest on the Mount of Olives, which is just east of the old city of Jerusalem, east of the temple. Now, what's going to happen when the Lord's foot touches the Mount of Olives? Anybody remember? It's going to split. The Bible says half the mountain is going to go north, and half the mountain is going to go south. And it says that the glory of the Lord will enter into the temple. The glory of the Lord will be present. And so Jesus, when he comes back, his foot's going to rest on the Mount of Olives, which is east of the temple. The millennial temple, will be, it'll be created, I think, when he comes back. Then he's going to enter in through the eastern gate into the temple, and the glory of the Lord will once again be in the temple. Hallelujah, right? So that's at the second coming. That's at the end of the seven years. Jesus is going to come back and do that. And I told you that the, the Muslims are aware of this prophecy here in Ezekiel 43. And so they've got this wall and they've got this eastern gate. And what did they do with that gate right after they built it 500 years ago? They sealed it up. They sealed it up trying to prevent the Lord from entering through that gate. You think that's going to be a problem for him? Yeah. And Sunday I showed you some pictures, you know, of the of that eastern gate. Uh, didn't I? Didn't I do that Sunday? Yeah. And there's a cemetery. In fact, you can walk through that cemetery. There's a walkway. I've walked through it many times. And there are Muslim graves. They're not Jewish graves there. The Jewish graves are over on the Mount of Olives. These are, are Muslim graves. So the Muslims put all these graves in front of that eastern gate, and they sealed that gate, trying to, to prevent the prophecy of Ezekiel from coming to pass. Because, uh, you know, a Jewish... Jewish Rabbi, Jewish Messiah, would not walk through a cemetery, they think, and would not go through that gate. And so isn't that amazing? They believe the prophecy, but we know that it's going to happen. And so the glory of the Lord is going to re-enter that fourth temple. There'll be a fourth temple, a millennial temple. And so, hallelujah. Again, this temple is very different. If you read these chapters, 40 through 42, the dimensions are much different. It's much larger than any temple that's ever been built before. Instead of a veil, you know, there was a veil between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. Um, uh, instead of a veil, there's a door. It talks about a door. That's in the Ezekiel 41, verse 23. So, in fact, just look at that right quick. Back up to Ezekiel 41, and look at verse 23. It's giving a description of the temple. Ezekiel 41, verse 23. says, Both the outer sanctuary and the most holy place had double doors. Each door had two leaves, two hinged leaves for each door. Well, see, that's totally different than uh, Zerubbabel's temple or Herod the Great's temple uh, or Solomon's temple. They had a curtain, a veil. So this is a different temple. This is a temple that's going to be rebuilt 
uh, I think the Lord will create it when he comes back at the second coming, supernaturally. And so it's exciting, isn't it, to think about these things? So, Right? The veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, wasn't it? Yeah. What questions y'all have? Y'all have any questions about the millennial temple or the Lord, the Lord's glory returning? Or one final thing I'll mention, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with you and everything, but the little book of Haggai. You read the little book of Haggai? It's just two chapters. But we won't look at that tonight, but you might take a look at that. Might make a note of that, especially Haggai chapter two. It's really interesting. Um, Haggai gives a prophecy uh, about uh, what's going to happen in the future, but he talks about the the temple foundation being set. This will be Zerubbabel's temple. Okay, after the Babylonians destroyed it, and the Israelites come back and they they rebuild the foundation and they rebuild the temple. Uh, in Haggai chapter 2, it talks about this foundation being laid and the Lord's talking to them about the future and how glorious it's going to be and all of that. And so it's mentioned the date that this is done. And it's in the month of Kislev and it's the 24th day. And so that's a very significant date. It mentions that a couple of times in chapter 2 of Haggai. And you say, well, what's so significant about that? Well, Many years later, many years later on that very day, uh, some Jewish zealots recaptured the, the temple at Jerusalem 165 years before Christ. That's when the Greeks had control of it. And they came in and they recaptured that and they rededicated the temple, okay? And I know you've heard about this. They found this vial of oil, you know, for the lampstand but it only had enough oil for one day. But miraculously, it lasted for eight days while they were able to prepare more. And so that became the celebration of what? What's the name of that? Every year, the Jews observe Hanukkah. Hanukkah, an eight-day celebration where they, they light the candles or the lamps you know, every day for eight days. It happened on that same day, the 24th day of Kislev. Now, is that a coincidence? That's something, isn't it? That's not, that's not all, though. Later, many years later, in 1917, in 1917, the British captured the city of Jerusalem uh, from the Turks. And the, Jeru the uh, Turks, I'm sorry, the Turks uh, surrendered on Hanukkah. How about that? In 1917. That's when General Allenby of the British uh, walked into the city of Jerusalem through the Jaffa Gate and all of that. How about that? The same day, they surrendered the same day that the Maccabees, you know, recaptured the temple and rededicated it on Hanukkah. Same day, that happened again. But in Haggai's uh, prophecy, he says the Lord's going to do something miraculous. He says he's going to shake the earth. And he says, uh, he's going to defeat the enemies of Israel. And he says, every man's sword will be against his brother. Same thing we just read in Ezekiel. So I think he's talking about this battle that we just read in Ezekiel. And hey, guy, go back and read that chapter 2 tonight. And read it two or three times. It's real short. It's amazing. 
And so now this is just pure speculation. We can't pick dates and stuff, but I'm going to, okay? Uh, I wonder, I wonder, okay? I just wonder if this battle in Ezekiel 38 where the Lord shakes the earth and destroys this enemy of Israel and every man's sword is against his brother, the same thing. I wonder if that's going to happen on Hanukkah. And guess what? Hanukkah is just right after, just three months after Rosh Hashanah, when, when I believe the rapture of the church is going to occur. Because that's the Feast of Trumpets. And so we've talked about that. We'll talk about that a whole lot more later. So I'm not naming dates necessarily. We don't know the year. We don't know the day or the year. But, uh, or the hour, as Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour of the Lord's return. But could it be that He's going to return some, some year during Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. It makes a lot of sense to me. Well, that's this year is going to be like October 2nd when that occurs. Three months later is going to be Hanukkah. So could it be that whenever it happens, whether it's this year or 10 years from there or whenever, if it does happen on those dates, you see how those dates are so close to each other, just three months apart, and you could have the seven-year period. So you've got the seven years from the rapture of the church. Israel's going to burn the weapons for seven years, which would be three months, I guess, into the millennium. That's possible, right? To commemorate um, this great victory of the Lord over Israel's enemies. So guess what date this year Hanukkah is going to fall on? I looked it up today. I didn't know. <clears throat> December 25th. Christmas Day. How about that? So Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, it's a two-day celebration. It's going to be, I think, October 2nd through the 4th. 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. It was two days. Um, and then December 25th is Hanukkah. And I'm convinced something spectacular is going to happen you know, during those two dates. Some year. We don't know the day or the hour. We don't know the year. But every year when it rolls around in the fall, I begin to wonder, is this, could this happen? Is this going to happen, you know? Uh, I thought, I was sure it was going to happen back in 2015. Remember we had the blood moons and all that going on, and so many things were happening, and I thought, man, this has got to be it, but it didn't happen. You know, only the Lord knows when it's going to happen, right? But it's kind of fun to speculate. Now, again, it, it may not have anything to do with those particular dates, but it sure makes a lot of sense to me that it's quite possible. Just be ready. Lord. Be ready. Be ready anytime. You know, Lord could come back today if He wants to, right? But um, it all seems to tie together. The Bible is so precise, and it has all these prophecies, and the festivals are very significant, and and um, all these details about these battles and everything. The Lord gave us all that information for a reason. He wants us to be watching, doesn't He? And to be ready when the time does come. Okay. What questions do you have? What time are we getting to be here? 7.30, how about that? Yeah. Any questions, anybody? Or... All right, well, we'll move on from there next time. So we've talked about the millennium and the millennial temple and this end-time battle, and we'll look at some other things next time. So... Okay, well, thanks for coming. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Everything that lives and moves.
Right. 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 Yeah, yeah, I was mentioning that to Dot Sunday that, you know, um, talking about the food, Mark asked what, what did they eat, and uh, he was probably asking on the ark, while they were on the ark, well on the ark they probably just had grain and stuff like that that would last a year, they were on the boat for a year, uh, but when they came out of the boat then they could eat meat, so they probably had these, these clean animals, we mentioned the seven pairs of clean animals, they could eat those after they sacrificed them, that kind of thing, so. All right. Well, thanks for coming. Thank you. Mm -hmm.